After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. And then let's go to Acts chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 11 to 17. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. 
As I mentioned, we have been really focusing the last several months on what it means to walk by faith, to live by faith. Uh, And we've talked about what faith is. We've given you that definition of faith, that Christian faith is choosing to trust and to act often beyond our natural ability based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways founded in a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And that is uh, what we've been saying. That's been our definition that we've been operating by in terms of faith. There's a problem in the church at large sometimes when we begin to talk about faith because it's very easy for people to start thinking about faith in one of two ways. Uh, It's very easy for people to think about faith simply in the sense of trust. You know, if I have faith, I'm trusting God. Uh, But that trust is kind of isolated from everything else we do in our lives. And so I trust God, but I go about my daily life in the way that I would go about my daily life, even if I didn't trust God. I trust God, and it really doesn't make any difference in how I do my work. I trust God, but it really doesn't make any difference how I interact with people. Uh, I trust God, but the only real difference it makes is that I lose a day sleeping in on Sunday mornings because I have to get up and go to church. And sometimes I think that's why churches that meet in the afternoons are really popular, uh, because then you don't even have to trust God enough to get up early on a Sunday morning. You can sleep in and then go in the afternoon. Now, I don't, you know, I, I'm not criticizing those churches, by the way. Uh, I'm saying that with uh, tongue fully planted in cheek. Uh, but, but that's one of the approaches to faith. And I see this a lot in a lot of Christianity, uh, particularly Christianity that doesn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit for today, or doesn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, or doesn't believe in, in God's ministry in the world today in the same way, or, or tends to focus on salvation from sin as the primary uh, thing that you need to do for people uh, and the way you live your life is not quite as important. But there's another distortion of faith that often happens and in this kind of faith uh, sometimes it's more about acting. So with this idea of faith, faith becomes some kind of power that you tap into or Perhaps the faith itself is not power, although some people do, would say that faith is power. But faith is like the, the, the plug that allows you to tap into the flow of the power that's coming through God's power lines. And so all you do is tap into that flow of power, and then that flow of power will help you to act in a certain way. And so if I have faith, then I need to activate my faith by plugging into God and then using God's power to do what I think I should be doing. And for some people, they tap into the line of faith and they want to use God's power to heal the sick. Uh, Other people, they want to tap into this line of faith uh, and they use God's power to get more money. Uh, Some people will tap in the line of faith uh, and they'll, they'll use God's power to get a better job. Uh, And they think that if they don't get the money 
or they don't get the job, or the person's not healed, then maybe something's wrong with the socket. Maybe I need to plug it in a little bit more. Or maybe I need to get, you know, instead of a one-phase, I need to get one of those three-phase sockets to give me extra power flowing through. And if I just have enough power and I apply then, I, I get the power, and then I apply the power in whatever way I, I feel like is the best way for me to apply the power, if I just act on it, then somehow the right thing is going to happen. Somehow I'm going to get what I desire. And that, as well, is a grievous error of faith. In fact, we see that in the story we read uh, in the book of Acts, the story about the seven sons of Sceva. I love this story. I think it is one of the funniest stories in the Bible. I, I don't know about you, but I read the Bible and I like to laugh. Because if you actually read some of the things that the Bible says, it's really quite humorous. Like Elijah and the prophets of Baal. It's one of my favorite stories. They're up on the mountains and the prophets of Baal, you know, they're dancing around. They're calling on Baal to send fire. And Elijah says, well, scream louder. Maybe he's in the toilet. You know, and a lot of times we, we don't pick that up. But that's literally what Elijah's saying. I mean, that's, that's funny. That is genuinely funny. And I think these Sceva guys... These guys are generally, genuinely funny. Okay, so they hear about Paul. They're there in Ephesus. They hear about Paul casting out demons. <clears throat> and they think, okay, well, this guy, he's a Jewish convert. I mean, if this guy, who's a Jew, can do this kind of thing, then certainly the seven of us who are Jews, after all, we're sons of the high priest. Sceva, you know, our pop, you know, the seven of us certainly could do it. I mean, seven times one, that's, that's big. That's a lot more people, a lot more power. So they find this demonized guy, and they go, and they're, they're tapping into the power. So you can kind of see what they're saying here is, okay, this is our plug. We're inserting it into the socket, and now the exorcism power is going to start flowing from us. The deliverance power is going to start flowing from us. And so they say, you know, by the name of Jesus. And, and notice how religious this is, okay? Pick up. This is a religious kind of thing that they're doing. It's almost like an incantation. In fact, it's no accident. We didn't continue to read, but it's no accident that right after this, there's a lot of people who are practicing witchcraft, uh, and the occult and things in Ephesus. And right after this story, they're all coming together and they're burning their books. And so it's almost like a form of witchcraft, but they say, you know, by, in the name of Jesus whom Paul calls on, come out. <laughs> and the demon, he's like, huh. Wait a second. You know, Jesus, I definitely know, Paul I've heard of, but I don't know you guys from anybody. And then the demonized guy, he jumps on them. I, I mean, there's seven of these guys, okay? There's a lot. He jumps on them. He strips off their clothes. I mean, that's a little bit easier today. I didn't have belts like I've got on now. You try to take this belt off, it'd be, you'd, you'd wrestle even if you were a demon. Uh, but... Uh, uh, but I mean, they strip off clothes and they're running out of the house screaming. It's like, uh, I, I, I kind of think of Monty Python in the Holy Grail, if you've ever seen that. 
uh, where the guys are coming up to the, the castle that has all the French guys in it, and they start, you know, catapulting things out. They catapult a cow and, and these other stuff toward them, and the guys go, run away, run away! And I can kind of see the guys running out going, run away, run away! These guys had that second approach to faith. They thought, all we have to do is tap into the power. All we have to do is put the plug in the socket. All we have to do is say the right words. All we have to do is do the right thing. All we have to do is make the right kind of declaration. All we have to do is make the right kind of faith statement. All we have to do is name something and claim something. All we have to do is jump into this, and if our faith is strong enough, and how do we get our faith strong? Well, we need to work it up inside of us. You know, I've got faith, I've got faith, I've got faith, I've got, no, I don't, no, I don't, no, I've got faith, I've got faith, I've got faith, no, I don't, no, I don't. I've got faith, I've got faith, I've got faith, no, I don't, no, I'm, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get there. It's like uh, when I was a kid, we had the, 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 uh, the story of the little train that could have I don't know if anybody has that here. It's about a little train that's when it goes up a hill. And the train is like, I think I can, 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 I think I can. No, I can't, no, I can't, no, I can't. Although the train actually makes it, you know, because it's an encouraging story. I mean, how many kids would be encouraged if the train crashes and burns, you know? Oh, sorry, kids, you can't make it either. The little train, he thought he could, and he failed, so you're going to be failures too. I mean, that's not a winning children's story. So anyway, the seven sons, they're, they're out. It doesn't make a difference. They don't know faith. They don't understand the dynamic of faith. And if we do not understand this aspect of faith, and what is the, probably the most important part of our definition of faith, we will fail to live by faith, and even more, we will fail to serve anyone by faith. Because it is true that if we have faith, we choose to trust and to act. If you do not act, you do not have faith. We saw that. We saw how James talked about that. But we have a responsibility as Christians, if we have faith, to use our faith to serve other people. We have a responsibility to minister to other people by the power of faith. We have a responsibility to care for other people by faith. We have a responsibility to pray for other people by faith. But we need to understand the central dynamic of faith that makes our faith powerful that actually causes this whole thing to work and it's found in our definition and it's found in the life of Jesus notice what we say in our definition choosing to trust and act and it's often beyond your natural abilities living by faith serving by faith does indeed touch the power of God if you are living by faith if you are serving by faith you will do things you never thought possible. You can accomplish things that are beyond your natural ability to accomplish. You can achieve things that are far greater than you ever realized you can achieve. That is absolutely true by faith. And we say, though, that this has to be 
based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways. That's absolutely essential. How do we have the true knowledge of God and God's ways? That's in the Bible. But that's not the key for Jesus. The key for Jesus is in the next bit. Founded in a relationship with the Father. Now for us as Christians, it's a relationship with the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus serve by faith? He served by faith out of a living relationship with God as his Father. And notice here, it's absolutely essential that we understand God as our Father. Because frankly, I've heard a lot of people talk about faith and they use the word God and the word God could be equated with electricity in everything they say. In everything they say. But notice that if I'm talking about my wife, I can't talk about my wife and talk about electricity in the same way. Why is that? Because I have a relationship with my wife that is a personal relationship. I can't have the same kind of relationship with electricity. I can't have the same kind of relationship with power. And so in this text, we see Jesus doing one of his miracles. Uh, And it's such an interesting situation in a number of ways. Uh, And before we go on with this whole thing about Jesus' relationship with his father, I think it's important to see what Jesus is doing here. So Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem, and he's going, and he's hanging around uh, in the temple. And there's an area uh, here that has four colonnades, and it's a place called in Aramaic Bethesda. If you've ever seen a hospital that's called Bethesda, that's what it's based on. That's where the name comes from, this passage right here. And so what would happen, there was a pool, a pool of water there uh, in this, this area called Bethesda, and the legend was that from time to time, an angel would stir up the waters, and then the first one who got in got healed. And we don't know exactly what was happening there. Was it a real angel? I don't know. It could have been a thermal spring. It could have been one of those things that occasionally bubbles up. Uh, we don't know exactly what was going on in that dynamic, whether it was divine or natural Uh, and whether people actually got healed or if they just felt better. Because, you know, if you've you've got achy bones, you know, if you jump into a a pool of bubbling hot water, you feel better coming out. I mean, it's a natural thing. So we don't know what was happening. But over the years, uh, dozens, if not hundreds of people gathered around in, in this place. And so Jesus goes, and notice here, he only goes to one person. Uh, it always strikes me, because I'm thinking, if I'm Jesus, you know, I'm walking in there, and I just got, why don't I just go and sweep through and heal every single person in there? But Jesus does it. He goes to this one guy. He goes to this one guy, and he asks him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? You know, that is one of the most important questions 
when we're helping other people, when we're serving other people, uh, and we'll probably come back to it from time to time, but the idea, do they really want things to change? Do they really want to get well? I've known a lot of people in my life who carry around, for example, a lot of woundedness, a lot of offense, and actually, you know, they don't want to get better. They would prefer to hold on to the woundedness and the offense because somehow it makes them feel powerful. Now, I've seen people who don't want to come out of depression. I've seen people who don't want to get physically better. I've seen people who do not really want to get well. Uh, and this is really a key thing. And you kind of think, well, why wouldn't a guy who's been an invalid for 38 years want to get well? But think about that. Uh, back in Jerusalem of the day, there was a strong culture of giving money. And as an invalid, you could probably make a pretty decent living just on the handouts that you'd receive. Now, it's not, it's not like anybody would want to be an invalid, okay? You know, don't, don't you know, assume that people were trying to be invalids in order to get money. I don't think that, that was the case. But it was a different kind of dynamic there. Uh, and so, I mean, so that could be a relevant question. After 38 years, you get used to your condition. After 38 years, sometimes you just don't want to change. After 38 years, it's an awful lot easier to stay the way it's always been than to make the changes. And after all, if you get well, what's going to happen? You're going to have to get up and get a job. You're going to have to work. And not a lot of people want to work. So a lot of times people don't want to get well. He asked the question, and then the guy, his answer actually is almost a betrayal of the answer that Jesus is, to the question Jesus is asking. Because notice what he says, he immediately goes into wine mode. And, oh, well, you know, there's so many people around here, and, and I've been here for so long, and, and, and I'm just really poor and miserable, and I can't really climb into the water when it stirs up. You know, the, I don't have anybody that's going to help me. I don't have any friends that are going to look after me to push me in the water uh, and, and just help me get out. <clears throat> to me, it sounds like a guy who doesn't really want to get well. He's complaining. He's finding all these excuses. I mean, if I'm genuinely, if I'm sick, and I have someone come and say, do you want to get well? I'm going to say, yes. Heal me. I don't want to stay sick. I want to be healthy. I want to be working. I want to be doing stuff. And so, you know, so he's kind of whining, he's moaning, he's groaning, and, and all this stuff's going on. And then Jesus, you know, I almost see Jesus getting kind of fed up with it. He says, oy vey, just... Take up your mat and walk. And that's what he does. Now, you might think, okay, Rod, you're, you're kind of reading too much into it. You're not being fair to the guy. Uh, you're not really being fair to Jesus. But watch what happens. So the guy takes up his mat and walks. It's a Sabbath day. And picking up something and carrying it is one of the many things you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath, on the Jewish Sabbath. This guy, he picks up his mat and walks, and he starts walking, and some of the, the leaders, the, really, the Pharisees, you know, the good church people, they see the guy doing stuff that he's not supposed to be doing, and they say, hey, why are you carrying this mat? And notice what the guy does. He, he doesn't say, I've been healed, can't you see? 
praise Jesus, hallelujah, I'm, 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 or, or praise God, hallelujah, you wouldn't have said praise Jesus then, praise God, hallelujah, I, I'm healed, I'm walking here, I'm sorry that I forgot to, that I was carrying my mat because I've been an invalid for 38 years and whoo, can invalids do this? You know, if I, if, I, if I was good, what I would, just would have done in that moment, what I imagined in my mind was me leaping about three feet off the floor, clicking my heels together, and then landing back on my feet. But you notice I got about three millimeters off the floor, uh, and it wasn't quite enough space to get my heels together. So just uh, <laughs> apologies for that. But he doesn't do that. What does he do? He immediately passes the blame. He says, this guy... He healed me, and he told me to pick up my mat. You know, and that's why I'm doing it. It's his fault. Now, notice this. Not only does he shift the blame, the guy hasn't even bothered to find out Jesus' name. So here he is. He gets up. He's healed. He doesn't look to Jesus and say, Jesus, or who are you? Tell me your name. I want to praise God for you. Uh, I, I want to tell all my friends about you. He doesn't do that. He's just picking up his mat and he's walking along. And then later on, he's in the temple and Jesus comes to him and says, see, you're well. Sin no more. So this guy, it kind of makes you wonder, maybe as, as he was begging, you know, how many times did he make it look worse than it actually was? How many times did he take advantage of people? I, I don't know what he was doing. But clearly he's here in the temple and he is sinning. He doesn't have the right attitude. He doesn't have the right actions. He says, see, you're well. Go and sin no more. Well, what does the guy do? He immediately goes to tell the authorities that it was Jesus. I mean, that's not even cheeky. That's just downright wicked. The guy who's just been healed after 38 years is going to tell on Jesus because Jesus healed him and maybe because Jesus offended him a little bit by saying, hey, don't, don't sin anymore. You need to go get your life straightened out. Maybe he said to him, hey, go get a job. And the guy's offended. And he goes and he tells the authorities. Now, this is not a godly man. This is not a grateful man. Uh, you kind of wonder why on earth would Jesus have healed this guy? Certainly, there was somebody better at the pool of Bethesda. Certainly, there was somebody that was sicker somebody that deserved it more, somebody that maybe loved God a little bit, maybe somebody who tried to be a good Jew that was there at the pool of Bethesda that Jesus could have touched, that Jesus could have healed, and yet Jesus goes and he heals this guy. He, he ministers to this man, and it's this man who betrays him. It's this man who turns against him. It's this man who gets offended because he says, hey, don't go sin. It's this man who is so self-centered and self-focused that he doesn't even bother to learn Jesus' name at first. I think this is really instructive to us 
as we start to minister to people, that many of the people to whom we minister, frankly, they don't deserve it. Many of the people that God sends us to won't even bother to get to know who we are. Many of the people maybe whom we heal or lead to, try to lead to Jesus won't thank us for it. Many of the people that we come and say, hey, I think your life is not really measuring up to God's standards and it's going to be better for you and healthier for you if you lived your life uh, according to God's word and stopped sinning. Many people are not going to appreciate that. A lot of times as Christians, we get tremendously offended because we're ministering by faith, we're living by faith, and people don't receive us, people don't understand us, people reject us, people betray us, people hurt us, uh, people wound us, and we think, well, that's not the way it should be. And frankly, if people did that to Jesus, they're going to do it to us. We should expect this. We should expect this. So the question comes, once again, why did Jesus act by faith? Because he's acting by faith here. Yes, he's fully God, but he's fully human. And he lived his life on the earth as a human being. So he lived his life by faith, just like we live our lives by faith. It doesn't diminish his divinity. But we neither can diminish his humanity. So why on earth would Jesus do this? Well, the answer comes in the last couple of verses. Notice what Jesus says. I only do what I see my Father doing. The Father shows me, and then I do it. And that's the dynamic that's in our de definition, and it's the dynamic of relationship. Faith works not on the strength of our trust, not on the strength of our action. Faith does not even work, I believe, based on the strength of our knowledge of God and God's ways, Although all of these things are absolutely important. Our faith works on the basis of our relationship. And the stronger our relationship with the Father, through Jesus the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit, the stronger our faith. Many Christians don't live by faith and don't serve by faith not because they don't want to, but because they haven't done the hard work of having a relationship with the Father. And that's what we have to do. It's like any relationship in life requires work. It requires investment. It requires us listening. It requires us looking. And the Father wants to spend time with us. He wants to have relationship with us. You see, in the end with faith, it's not what you know, but who you know that makes all the difference. And if you want to grow in faith and you want to grow in the power of your faith, then you need to grow in the strength of your relationship with the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit.
because faith is founded on relationship with God the Father through God the Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of God the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Jesus went to this man at the pool of Bethesda, this undeserving man, because for some reason, unknown to us, the Father said, this is the guy I want you to go to. And Jesus walked in that close relationship with his Father, and he does this all of his life. You see this throughout the text. But he walks in that close relationship with his Father so much that he says, okay, Father, what you show me, what you are doing, then I'll be doing it. What you show me, what you're doing, that's what I want to do because it flows out of relationship. I love watching little boys with their dads, especially when they get to be about five or six years old. Because invariably, every little boy that I've ever seen about that age with their father is always looking at their father. They're always looking at the father. And if the father does something silly, the little boy does something silly. And if the father says something naughty, eventually it will come out of the little boy's mouth. Because the little boys are paying attention to their father. The little boys are longing for a relationship with their father. I've seen this even when the little boys are playing with the father and they run ahead. They always look back to make sure dad's there. And I see it time after time after time. And I believe that we need to have that same kind of relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus and the power of the Spirit, as a little boy has with his dad, so that we say, God, Father, show me what you are doing, and that's what I want to do. And when we see our Father doing it, when we have a sense of the heart of our Father as we, as we study the Scriptures, when we listen to the voice of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, when we follow the example of Jesus as our elder brother, when we base our faith on relationship, that's when we see God working more and more and more. The thing is, it's not up to you. It's not under your control. And that's the big thing that many people struggle with. They want stuff faster. They want God to do more. They want the God to do something differently. And Father says, just watch me. Listen. Maybe now is not your time. Watch what I'm doing. Listen to me. Long after me. Have a relationship with me. And out of that, I will speak to you. And that is the promise. It's not what you know, but who you know that makes all the difference in our faith. And the good news about this, we can all have that relationship with our Father. His resources are limitless. He desires us, and, and He doesn't expect you to become like anybody else, any other human being. He simply expects you to be the person that He's created you to be and the way he's created you, and to walk out that relationship by faith. And as we do, serving others, we're going to see even greater things happen in the life of our fellowship. Let's pray. Father.
Thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Father, I pray that you would help all of us to grow in deeper relationship with you so that our faith might be increased, so that we might both trust you and act more boldly than ever before, so that we might serve one another and serve others outside the church in the power of your Holy Spirit in ways that changes lives and transforms the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together.